On today's episode, our all-gay panel reviews Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar, and discusses mentoring new queer performers, which is a topic plucked from the themes of the movie. What up, what up, listeners? Welcome to You Better Represent Podcast, proudly part of the Sonar Network. Exploring representation in cinema, each week we review a minority-led film with members of that underrepresented community and debate a cultural topic plucked from the movie's themes. Joining me for today's show is super talented gay comedian, writer, actor, filmmaker, Robert Watson. Hey, queens and kings. Thanks so much for having me again, Vong. Hey, Robert. Happy Yes. Pride. And to you too. Did you have a, I mean, we, we all know it wasn't the kind of pride that we like to have, but did you have a good one? Yeah, it was uh, swelteringly hot, which is fabulous. And I got to go outside and I got to see a whole bunch of people that I was deathly afraid of being uh, around (laughs) because of COVID-19. But it was nice seeing them from afar as I uh, avoided them on the streets. Um, how, how was your party? Oh, I mean, very low-key, of course. We just saw a few close friends uh, who, you know, we're all sort of in these different stages of vaccination. Uh, I'm double-vaxxed, uh, and my husband, he got his double vaccination yesterday on Pride Sunday. Ooh. So, uh, happy, that was, he, he liked to say he got pricked for Pride. Um, that's his joke, <laughs> not mine. I wish I thought that one up. Uh, but he, And he is currently in the other room right now, suffering from the side effects of the second dose. So, uh, but oh. he's, he's, he's getting better and we're so glad to be double vaxxed and, uh, yeah, it'll make, it'll make meeting our friends so much easier uh, in the future now and feel safer and just more confident. So it's a great thing. Yeah, no, that, that, that's amazing. I'm also double vaxxed and I, um, I also had a pretty severe reaction, but you know, all the doctors say that's a good thing apparently. So to, to make myself feel better on the day I was feeling bad, I watched YouTube videos talking about how it's a good thing to have all these <laughs> side effects because it means it's working. So I was like, yes, it's working. Um, <laughs> um, okay. So this has been an amazing pride month doing all these shows uh. with you, Robert. Of course, you're going to be on, um, um, the podcast going forward mm. um, every you know every every other week or usually every other week we'll be doing a gay movie um, but of course for Pride Month obviously we did all gay pew, pew. all month long so <laughs> yeah so uh, you know just wanted to thank you oh, again for um, for joining the show as a regular contributor. Um, we've had a lot of success since you've been on. We got named um, new and noteworthy Sweet. from iTunes during their uh, Pride promotion. Oh my gosh, that's great. So that's amazing. I love that. Yeah, so yeah I, I saw that on the iTunes the other day. I was like, <laughs> I'm just going to look up the, you know, let's see how things are. And I'm like, whoa, my face is on there. That was sort of fun. I was, that was, that was really great. So yeah, it's <laughs> been a, that, that's been a great part of Pride, Pride Month. And uh, to be included as new and noteworthy, that's great. That's uh, to all any new listeners. Hey, welcome. It's, it's great to, great to have you here. Yeah, and uh, also shout out to Spotify Canada, who also um, featured us um, on uh, on their Instagram and on their Twitter for Thanks, the month. Spotify. Um, also in celebration 
of pride so thank you itunes apple and spotify um but yeah so clearly uh, clearly bringing you on and uh our camaraderie has really caught the attention of uh the, our amazing the chemistry so, um <laughs> <laughs> so and hopefully the um hopefully our our listeners are enjoying it too obviously they are because our download numbers oh. are up and uh so that's always a good sign so thank you everybody again for um for listening i know we had a bit of a change from the rice podcast to now you better represent you know the big change of course is we're covering more diverse topics including gay movies now which is why robert is now Hello. a part of this show anyway this is like our longest <laughs> intro ever but i i just wanted to thank everybody it's pride and feeling the love i'm feeling the oh robert my gosh, right to the screen the covid vaccine <laughs> i'm feeling everything um uh, okay, so to to finish off Pride Month and our month long series of reviewing um, queer led movies, well, maybe not queer led <laughs> in, in this case, but uh, queer topic movies, um, we are going to uh, review classic Tu Wong Fu. Thanks for everything, Julie Newmar from 1995. So the synopsis is uh, three drag queens travel cross-country until their car breaks down, leaving them stranded in a small town. This movie stars Wesley Snipes, Patrick Swayze, and John Leguizamo, and uh, features a very special guest appearance by RuPaul as <laughs> Rachel Tensions, which is the best drag name yeah. ever. Um, I'm... I'm kind of sad it was used in the movie as an alias because now nobody can use it in real life. I wish there was a real life Rachel Tensions because that is just way too amazing. <laughs> um, and then also there's a, there's um, there is of course a special appearance by yes. Julie Newmar herself, the one and only Catwoman. Uh, it, this was directed by Bibin Kidron and written by Douglas Carter Bean. And from what I can tell, as far as representation, everybody involved is straight uh, on the acting side, mm -hmm. on the directing side. But Douglas Carter Bean is married to his longtime um, collaborator, Louis Flynn, and he has written several other gay yes. plays and screenplays and stuff. So I think it is safe to assume at the very least, the writer <laughs> has some queer credentials. Um, now, uh, you know, this podcast is called You Better Represent, so we always open up the podcast with this question, which I will push over to Robert. Um, how well did the movie Tu Wong Fu, thanks for everything, Julie Newmar, represent the gay Okay, experience? well, let me preface this by uh, this week was the first time I've ever watched this movie. So I don't have any of the nostalgia or any of the fond memories of like perhaps going to the theater and it being like a big deal that there was a movie with, with drag queens or with, with gay characters in it. Uh, that wasn't my experience uh, of that movie. I, I didn't, it wasn't part of my life at that time. It was 1995. Um, but watching it now, I would be, I'm, I mean, I've got some 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 major issues with uh, <laughs> with some of the plot points, writing, and choices that were made, and most most of it does actually sit right in the lap of the writer, who is the person that we're saying you know that is the queer person involved, uh, Douglas Carter Bean, and most of my issues were with how he uh, wrote some of these characters. Uh, 
my okay, my okay, let me tell you my main issue when I go like what's my main issue? The fact that these were supposed to be drag queens and we never experienced them out of drag. So like this confusion of like wait a minute, are these uh trans women are, or are these drag queens? And very specifically, they're saying all the time they're drag queens. And yet we, except for at the beginning when we see uh, them getting dressed to be drag queens, that's the only time we see them as, you know, out of drag. So I, I was like, ah, oh, I mean, this is some, yeah. this is, this creates some confusion for someone who doesn't necessarily know the difference between a drag queen and a transgender person, which is a big problem mm-hmm. in my books. Um, but it was fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there definitely was that line in there where they were explaining the difference between a cross-dresser, a transvestite, a transsexual, and a drag queen. And when you listen to it, it's not... You know, I was trying to think. I was like, okay, yeah. it's 1995. I was like, how... I was like... I know there's some new terms that have come up, but I don't think the terms they used, like the definitions have actually mm. changed. Um so they they didn't really get it right, which is unfortunate because drag queen, I think they said, was just a gay man so fabulous that his fashion sense uh, transcends genders. Mm. Um, so I was like, oh, uh, it's I don't oh okay. Um, I don't know. It, it's kind of tough when you have such, you know, it's it's a funny thing because you know, and and, and you know, you, you know this better than I do, Robert. Because with the filmmaking process, it's like, you know, I think in TV, like the writer or the showrunner has a bit more control, and usually a lot of times it's the same person. But for a movie, like yeah. the director tends to have a lot of control. So I don't know how much the straight director like overruled things so it's like because i'm like this was written by a gay man but i was like how much did did you know this straight director and these very powerful Mm -hmm. straight leads you know like some of the most powerful um people like with um you know, like with with Wesley Snipes, he got top billing even though he probably wasn't even the lead character. So mm-hmm. that just shows the power he had in Hollywood at the time to get top yeah. billing even if he wasn't the lead character. And so you just never know who really, like, by the time it goes from the piece of paper, I don't know. I don't really know. But, you know, I'm in agreement with you. I was looking at it. Yes, it is 26 years later. So I'm just really trying to give it a lot of leeway but i'm just like you know we we recently talked about should straight men play gay characters and in that instance we were like you know yes mm-hmm. and when we watched brokeback mountain we were like yes with this one <laughs> i was like no i was like it didn't feel like like they're all three very talented actors but it felt like straight men in a wig like it didn't feel like it didn't feel like drag queens, and maybe it's because, you know, like, you know, like, neither of us are drag queens, but, like, we're certainly around drag Like, it didn't feel like a drag queen was coming out of the character. I don't know. I don't know. And obviously, they're not drag queens. They're actors, but mm-hmm. I would love them to inhibit that a bit more. Maybe in 1995, they didn't have as much, like, available research. Obviously, I feel like, I feel like, even a non-gay person watching this now because of the proliferance of, like, RuPaul's Drag Race and different things, you know, which isn't, like, totally, like, real-life drag. It is different knowing a drag queen in real life but than, like, just watching them on TV. But it's, like, I think 
even a general audience would kind of like feel watching this now that this isn't really mm-hmm. a drag queen performance. Like it just doesn't. I don't even know how to say it. It's just they didn't inhabit it. Like with Brokeback Mountain, like I knew they were straight, but like they made me feel like they were gay for those two and a half hours. Like they really did. This one, not for a minute did I not think these were like straight actors in a wig. Like not for mm-hmm. even a single second. Like I'm sorry, I just I did not buy it. Um I don't know that you were meant to, though. Yeah, I don't know that you were meant know, to buy it, because there is an element of this movie that just feels like pure that. fantasy. Uh, and I do think that there's... If you do just buy into this idea of this fantasy of these drag queens showing up to town and changing a town... I mean, it has it has shades of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, uh, of course, where, you know, which was much more uh, accurate, of course, in how it portrays uh, the drag queen characters that were in uh, Priscilla. But, uh, I mean, just the fact that this movie was made in 1995 and a big American uh, uh, movie that was number one in, uh, in the box office for two weekends in a row when it was released. Uh, and mm. and when you look at the names behind it, Steven Spielberg and Amblin Entertainment were the people that made this happen. And doing my little bit of research, apparently uh, this was a hard movie to get made. Steven Spielberg put his name behind it. He actually gave the script to Robin Williams, and he was like, this movie has to get made, which is why we see a cameo of Robin Williams in the film. But there was not one male director that was willing to take on this movie when they were trying to get it into production. And that's when uh, Beben Kidron uh, stepped in. Uh, whose whose other claim to fame would pro- would be that uh, she directed uh, one of the Bridget Jones sequels, and she's a baroness in the UK. Like the, she was like, mm. did they did one of those like things where they knight you, but she's not a knight. Obviously, oh. she's a dame, but she's a baroness in the UK. Um, but it's a bunch of straight people trying to put on a queer show, which was <laughs> what was happening in a lot of the nineties. Unfortunately, they didn't have the queer voices that they were uh, to to speak up to correct those glaring mistakes. <laughs> Yeah, like, honestly, as I was watching this and, you know, after the intro Mm -hmm. where they featured RuPaul and a bunch of real-life New York drag queens, I was just feeling like, you know, I wish RuPaul was one of these three drag queens (laughs) going across the country. Um, You know, obviously, other opportunities, too. Clearly, RuPaul is the biggest drag queen ever, and they get, like, lots of opportunities. So maybe RuPaul and somebody else, too, you know. Um, Like, you know, established drag queen RuPaul with, like, a newcomer drag queen or something. Because I just feel like I get that you have to anchor it with, you know, like, Mm -hmm. Wesley Snipes, Snipes is a huge name. Patrick Swayze is also a huge get because he's like a straight romantic lead and seeing him in a dress as like this mama bear figure kind of thing. I do get that. The John Leguizamo, and I'm sorry, I know, like, I'm, I don't mean to like, I like, (laughs) listen, John Leguizamo was trying his best and I don't think he was any worse than the other two. I I actually would say that of the three that Wesley Snipes actually was the closest to convincing me, like, he like, he really tried. I still wasn't convinced, but um, uh, John Leguizamo. I was just like, this was the role that didn't need to mm-hmm, be an established mm-hmm. star, and clearly it wasn't because it was John Leguizamo, um, which I, which is kind of shady. But you know what I mean. Like, I feel like of the three, 
if there was one they could have given to like a real life drag yeah. queen, I feel like it was the John Linguizamo one. And that might have just helped elevate it a bit because then you still got the star power. Interesting. John Leguizamo uh, um, has since uh, spoken about know, that. He's actually a uh, big supporter of representation uh, on stage in Broadway. And he's actually working on something right now to to make sure to uh, make mm. a film that's based out of trans lives. And he's doing this work and he's sort of putting himself behind it, but letting all of these other artists who are trans mm. uh, do the speaking. So it's interesting that that he's come full circle, but this is also his star making turn. This was his first, first big role. And it actually is what launched his, uh, his fame. So it's mm. sort of interesting to, to, to hear this cause it's oh, really? a lot of people, uh, really liked it, but in the lens of 1995 is what we're, what is probably the case. Well, you know, the interesting thing is there, there has been, this thing, maybe it's more of a New York thing because it's more discussed mm. when I'm in New York because there's more of a Latino community there. But there is this thing between the Latino or the Latinx community and the gay community where, like, part of, and maybe I shouldn't speak for the, Latin, the Latino community, but just from what I hear in New York, there is this feeling that a lot of the gay community has mm. appropriated from the Latinx community, like some of the sayings and different things like that has been popularized by gays, but it was like appropriated from the Latinx community. So you kind of get John Leguizamo kind of doing these, like, it's kind of funny because he is playing it as a gay character, but really he's just playing, you know, <laughs> like him himself in a lot of ways, which because it's been appropriated, it's coming off as both like Latino and gay. It's, it's just sort of like this weird mix. I don't really know. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't think he was terrible. Obviously it made him a star. I just wish it was somebody in drag. And yeah. listen, I will say this is 26 years later. There's a different perspective now. I think John Liguizamo is great. I've seen him in a lot of different <laughs> things. I'm not saying I wish he didn't have a career. But if we're if we're talking about, you know, we we like we are talking about how we could be yeah. better in today's day and so I, I do have to point these things out even though it sounds like i'm ragging on them but probably if i saw it in 1995 because i had i didn't see it either if i saw it in 1995 i probably would have really loved it i don't know because i just would have been so happy you know it's the same thing with like um like when something breaks through you know even if it's not perfect you're just so happy about it um like you know there were certainly things with crazy rich asians um and well, unless it was Joy Luck Club, they actually did like a, a really good job on that one. Um, but uh, you know, there there are things that they got wrong with representation. But um, you're just so happy that so. you don't care. So maybe that's what it was like in 1995. And I'm just being way too harsh. And you know, kids 20 years from now are going to watch Crazy Rich Asians and think, you know, wow, they could have done a lot better. Um, so <laughs> they will judge our generation the way I'm judging the last generation. So I'm not meaning to be too harsh, but to be perfectly honest, it is very difficult for me to watch this movie. It really well, was. Yeah, I mean, um, even when it's trying to be funny, it's usually funny like uh, at the expense of a stereotype. <laughs> and I think that's one of the things that's bothering you about John Leguizamo is all the stereotypes that about the Latina woman who's, you know, screechy. Uh, which is a stereotype that was used over and over again um, uh, during, especially the 90s and 80s. 
So I can see how that would just great to watch nowadays. And and I, it, me too. I was like, oh man, this is not. It, it's definitely not the three dimensional characters that we would be coming to expect now to see out of queer characters, uh, queer writers, queer actors. Uh, it would be done a, with a lot more nuance and a lot more respect, I think. <laughs> yeah, I will say too, and this is going to sound really petty, um, but coming from an Asian person, when the movie is called oh Tu Wong Fu and there's not like a single Asian in the movie, I was like, okay, so what? Uh, we're just like some weird, random, invisible character, but we get no actual screen presence. I was just like, because, um, you know, because we've done crossover episodes before where we've had both, you know, Robert yeah. in to represent the gays and then Leonard in to represent the Asians. Oh, and at first I was like, oh, Tu Wong Fu, this might be a crossover no. thing. And then I, I watched it like, no, this is not a crossover episode. This is, there will be no crossover um, with, with this particular one. Because to be honest, it's part of the reason why. Oh, I my God. Wong that's was hilarious. Like, oh, this might no, be it a was crossover not. Episode. No. No, no crossover. Um, one thing I'll say to just, you know, getting out of the mm-hmm. representation part and just as a movie as a whole, I think there were like, there were like some tone issues. I think this movie was mm-hmm. like, at times was trying to be a comedy and then at times dove into like really serious topics yeah. like, um, like domestic abuse, gay bashing, and it was just like the tone was everywhere. I was like, oh nope. my god, this woman! Like it was so serious. They were not playing it for laughs. It was obviously that's a tough thing to play for laughs. But I was like, is this a comedy? Is it? And then the weird thing is like, in both instances, yeah, the way point. that they solved it was through violence. <laughs> it was like, okay. So- so let's solve domestic abuse by getting a drag queen to beat up the domestic abuser. And then let's get a drag queen to like grab yeah. the bully who is going to gay bash the other person um, by the balls. I was like, they they solved everything with violence. This is so weird. I mean, that's I pretty on brand for the, the 80s, to be honest with you. Place. Everything was solved with some sort of like smash them up, bash them up. But you're right, it's 95. But even watching <laughs> this film, the, the choices of filters and things like that actually made the film feel even older than it was. And I think that that was also reflected in the tone, because it just felt so out of date. Like, it felt like it was taken from a play even earlier than 1995. But in looking it up, they were like, no, it's supposed to take place in present day. And I was like, all right. No Uh car. The only other thing I would take with this movie is um, I feel like as I was watching, I was, like, trying to make sense of it in a way that I could understand. And I was like, you know what? If we take it as a 2021 movie, which it isn't, but if we take it as a 2021 movie, it's almost like an allegory for, like, the acceptance yeah. of, like, drag culture in small-town America. I was, like, I was like trying to make, like, my own theme because, like, the theme they're trying to push just didn't make any sense. So I was like, you know what? It... It is kind of like, it's almost like, and it starts with RuPaul, it's sort of like, you know, it's like mm-hmm. these ideas are slowly trickling into small town America, yeah. where now it's like it's super popular all, all across the world, this drag culture. So I was like, 
I was like, there's a little bit of that. Maybe back then they're trying to push a message like, you know, it's going to start to seep in and win people over because clearly 21, I mean, 20, 26 years later, um, that has kind of happened. But it's kind of me like coming up with my No, actually, you make a good point when you talk about uh, small town America and drag queens, because when you look at the history of drag in Canada, at least we look at people like Michelle DuBerry, like the oldest drag queen uh, still working drag queen in in the world, and her history is about going into small town Canada with a group of other drag queens, and they would be incredibly accepted as the performers in the town when you were coming to visit. They just didn't want you to stay and live there. So, uh, but they but what's interesting is small towns would be quite embracing of this <laughs> new act because it was that was coming to town because it was something to relieve the doldrums of their and boredom of their lives, I guess. Yeah, I will say as like, as a, you know, gay Asian comedian who started out in Alberta. So like I was doing a lot of small towns. I I actually think that that is really true. Um, As long as, you know, as long as you address it head on, like right at the very beginning and get them to laugh. Um, and 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 like um embrace you it actually small towns are super supportive and they're just really happy that anybody's coming to their town to perform so that's uh that is uh that is definitely true um I, I'm just going. You can't. Like I don't know. I'm trying to take this movie seriously, but I, I can't because I, I, I just I just can't get over. Honestly, Robert, it's the acting. The act. I just. No I just. Oh, I just can't. And they're talented actors. I just in 2021, it just does not hold up whatsoever. Um, and honestly, I felt like the character arcs, like so writing wise, I thought the character arcs were really weird. Like I don't think. It's like they presented these like revelatory moments to like close the character arc for three of for all three of our main characters, but none of them made sense as to what happened. So like I, I'm just trying to remember. So like Noxima um, learned to be more open and I felt like she was already there. This was a good <laughs> thing. That was a lesson that character learned. I know, but like, but you know what I mean. Like at, at like at the at the end of the movie, where they're like, you know, I've learned I should take more risks because you never know what's gonna happen. So that, okay, that's the closing of her character arc, which I don't think that was the arc of her character at all during the movie. But okay, um, the Chi Chi's arc was to learn to think to put others before themselves. The, the, whole, the young man, you know, yeah. Um, you know, letting the the cisgendered. I was like, okay, I'm not really sure that's what the arc was there. And then Vita had the weirdest arc. Um, Vita Boem, um, played by Patrick Swayze, was Vita learns to stand up for themselves and will go back to their home and say that they don't (laughs) need their um, approval, but will take their acceptance. I was like, was that really the character arc? I was like, where? I was just like, did I watch a different movie? I was like, usually the end point of the character arc, like, it's supposed to close the arc, but they're like, they close the arcs in a way that I was like, but that didn't happen. That's not what happened in the movie. I don't know. You're you're, you're, you're more of a writer than I am. You're an actual writer. Um, I'm not an actual writer. But, um... 
It's like how how does it feel as a writer to be like what what is it, it is interesting because uh, the Vita one especially sticks with me because we see happen. at the beginning of the film they drive by Vita's uh, parents' house and they have this huge mansion uh, somewhere in New England that they drive by and it looks like we're led to believe that the person coming out of the house and looking directly at the car where Vita is sitting is Vita's mom and she looks gets like weirded out and goes back inside. So I think we sort of know how Vita's parents are going to react when she goes back <laughs> to confront them about it. I was like, I think you need to make your own closure, Vita. I really do. I don't think you need to depend on your parents for closure because they didn't look like they were there for you in the way you needed. Yes. And yeah, Noxima, I don't like, I felt like Noxima was there to teach the homophobic <laughs> boys in town how to speak respectfully to a lady. I felt like that was Noxima's main arc in the town. And she, and Chi-Chi was just being selfish, wanting this boy that already looked like he had a girlfriend in town, but he was enamored with this, you know, interesting and different person that, that suddenly arrived. And it was like, oh, well, I'm not going to date you. And I was like, you were never going to live there. Like... Yeah, it doesn't, it didn't, you're right. None of their arcs made sense, but they did change the lives of the townspeople for the better, I thought. And that's one thing we could take from it a little bit, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, you know, the Strawberry Festival, I will say the Strawberry yeah. Festival, I did like the way it ended. I liked the costumes. I think the costume of the, uh, I forget the, the name of the character, but the oh, yeah, Stalker Channing's character the innkeeper the bed and breakfast keeper lady who yeah, yeah. She, she honestly she probably <laughs> had the 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 character arc that made the most sense in the, in the in the whole movie um of you know being changed by these drag queens who visit and then standing up yeah. for herself with her husband and everything i um, wish it was more of that, that dress, in the movie to be honest wow yeah. wow 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 walking through and then the full reveal yeah um Okay, so we usually end um, our review by asking the question, um, does this movie still hold up? And I, I, I won't answer because I feel like uh, I've, I've made my feelings clear, but let's head on over to Robert. And uh, does Tu Wong Fu... I'm not sure if it would have held up in 1995, personally. In 2021. Uh, no, it doesn't hold up. I, I would say this is the kind of movie you watch to, for, like educational purposes in regards to be like, oh, this is what they were doing before queer people were really allowed to have a say in their own films. Um, but, I mean, as a lark, if you if you like watching just, like, Turner classic movies in general anyways, this is something that I would say, yeah, sure, put it on, uh, have a drink, smoke a joint, do whatever it is to get through it, because maybe you'll enjoy it more that way. <laughs> And there you go. Uh, Robert has the last word on Tu Wong Fu. So we will be back very shortly with our second segment. We always take a, you know, we debate a topic that's plucked from the themes of the movie. And this week's topic is, mm -hmm. um, this week's topic is mentoring new queer performers, which as part of drag culture is a really big thing with drag moms and all that kind of stuff. So we will be right back after this very short break. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with Daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. What up, what up, listeners? We are back from our short break, and we will now start our second segment where we dive into a topic that is plucked from the movie's <laughs> themes. This week's movie was Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar from 1995, and our associated topic of the week is, is the mentorship of new queer performers and i'll throw i'll throw that out to robert and you can answer it either as your experience first coming into uh into performing um were you mentored or did you get mentorship and now as an established creator Canadian Comedy Award winner. <laughs> I take um, all of those lovely shows. words you just Have said you and put them in the bank. So thank you. The new generation. Uh, the word mentor is an interesting thing because uh, a mentor <laughs> relationship really is a it, it it's an agreement between two people in a weird way as well because you can't mentor someone who doesn't want to be mentored, uh, and you can't. Uh, you know, you, if someone's trying to mentor you and you don't want it, that's not a mentor either. So, so it is, it's, it's an agreement between someone with a lot of experience and someone with less experience who wants to learn. And, you know, then the other person who has the experience wants to pass on their wisdom and help the other person. Uh, growing up, I wouldn't say that I had like, like the mentor. There's not one person that I would say taught me the ropes of any, of any particular thing. It was gleaning from a whole bunch of people who were willing to answer my questions whenever I had them, uh, kind people who weren't necessarily, you know, going to take me under their wing and, and call and check in with me every day, but definitely people who helped me find my way, uh, and really make my own decisions so I could find my own path to find my own success, which I, appreciate uh even if there were times there were times sometimes i was like why isn't there anyone that just like i can just like say is my mentor you know like there there is a sometimes as a younger person the the desire for that uh in regards to mentoring people now like it's it's an agreement so if there's someone who's asking me questions i guess i'm doing a bit of mentoring and helping them out but there's no one uh in particular right now that's like under my wing uh i just try to be as helpful to younger performers as i can be and one of that is by like you know putting them on comedy shows and uh but not funnily enough not giving them feedback the feedback is something they have to ask for before i'm going to give it so hmm Yeah, it's funny with feedback of new performers. I'm always extremely careful because, you know, 
even when I am asked, so I, I produce a lot of shows um, under the title Fresh, which is for like new comedian showcase. So comedians um, who have had less than two years of experience. And then I have these yeah. subcategories of like Fresh Rice, which is like new Asian comedians and student Fresh Fruit, which is like new queer comedians. So I, I do actually get a lot of questions um, and people ask me about things, and I'm more than happy to talk about the industry, mm-hmm. more than happy to talk about like my own experiences. I will very rarely comment on their comedy because, um, even if they ask me directly, because I feel like the first couple <laughs> years, you just do a whole lot of things, and you have to figure out like what works for you, what doesn't. I also feel, too, like I I always tell new comedians, I was like, you know what? My favorite new comedians are the ones that make me feel old. Like, like the the ones who are doing something that I don't understand. So if I'm giving advice, I'm probably giving advice to make you to, like, like my generation. Like, I don't even want to give advice to, like, steer you that way. I want you to, like, do something where I can't even give you advice, where it's just, like, it makes me confused. But it should because you're newer and you're you're the voice of your generation. So I really try not to. I think to um, you know, here's a here's a sports analogy I like to use, but it's like um you can always tell when somebody took lessons too early. So um mm-hmm. when somebody first plays tennis, I always tell them just go hit the ball against a wall or just play however you want for the first couple of years. And then take lessons and they'll refine they'll refine your technique they'll refine what they see um but some Uh, people will take lessons before they have even struck the ball and you can see it's extremely mechanical and it just like it's it's a sports thing like you you can just see who took lessons too early it's just this weird mechanical because they didn't get a chance to discover who they are yet you know what i mean so for me it's, it's definitely different like if i'm producing like a like like a yeah. bigger comedy special or whatever yeah i will definitely give notes because i'm like listen this is like your professionals now here's what i need from you here's the audience we're going for here's the types of networks we're going to pitch to like it'll be very like yo here's what i need but a young <laughs> comedian no it's like it will be very like they'd have to corner me and like really, really, really mm-hmm. ask for me to give any opinion because my opinion would be like, don't listen to me. I'm old. Like, go, just go talk to your audience, um, figure it out. So there's that. Um, I was so I I do think, like I said, with the mentorship for me, it's not about mentorship on the art side of it, but definitely the business side. I will 100 percent give all the advice I can because there's a lot of crazy like. You know the business side of comedy yeah. that until until you're like a full time working comedian, it's it's hard to know these things. Um, and there's like a lot of pitfalls, like contract wise, different. Oh things. yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> you know uh, that definitely seek out advice for that for sure. And you know, and actually, uh, Robert's a good example of this. Like when when I had to do some film pitching stuff, first thing I was like, oh, like Robert filmmaker let me go reach out to robert and robert was really helpful gave me like almost what was like two hours of of his time giving me advice and honestly people for the most part i don't think anybody's ever said no like if, even if you think these people are so accomplished they've done all these things most of the time they're just so they're like oh wow somebody like new yeah. and finding some level of success wants 
my advice. They're usually like super happy. Um, I know that's how I usually feel. Um, so there's that. Um, now on the mm. mentorship side for me, when I first started, so I had no like say queer mentorship at all because I didn't perform with another queer performer um, or Asian performer for like the first 10 years of my career. It was just me and a bunch of white people, which is cool. Don't get me wrong. The people in Calgary, I started with them. They're great. They're amazing. Even now I've got a pretty good relationship with them. I'm still part of the, uh, <laughs> the, the Calgary comedians, Facebook group. So I, I, I do jump in every once in a while to, uh, to give my opinion on things. Um, so I, I love Western Canada. I love the prairies, but like I was literally the only like, gay person so i didn't get that type of mentorship i did get a lot of like comedy mentorship for sure um so there there's that but since this topic is specifically about queer mentorship i'll i'll talk about Mm -hmm. um when i moved to toronto i got to meet one of my queer comedy heroes maggie casella um who you know when i was growing up she had this show called 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 uh, because i said so she was like the face of star network she was everywhere and i moved here and i you know just happened to be on a show with her and afterwards she you know she's just take giving me so much of her time so much mm. advice um Actually, my my very first productions were co-productions with Maggie for like about six months. We did something called the We're Funny That Way Cabaret. Um, and really, I just sort of shadowed her. She let me shadow her for six months. We produced these shows. Mm. I shadowed her on her We're Funny That Way Festival, which is like the oldest queer comedy festival in the world. Um I think it's almost like 30 years. It's it's definitely, you know, a trailblazing event. And so I got to shadow her. And honestly, I don't think I would be producing shows now if I didn't get that mentorship. So <laughs> shout out to Maggie Casella and shout out to everybody else. Uh, obviously, shout out to Robert as well for helping me in my time of need um, with that <laughs> advice as well. But I, I, I do feel like I've gotten like queer mentorship outside of the first 10 years where I was not around queer people. But... In, in Toronto, for sure. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is if you're in a bigger city like Toronto, there is mentorship there. If you're in a smaller city, I guess with the internet now, it's probably a bit easier. Yeah. Back then, you know, there there was no, like, Zoom. Like, I couldn't just, like, Zoom somebody from Toronto and be like, hey, do you want to, like, give me, like, free advice for two hours? Like, it's not... I don't know. That, that wasn't really going to happen <laughs> in the early 2000s. But I feel like now... I don't know. There probably is some opportunity for um, for younger queer performers to reach out to people from bigger cities. Um, you know, just just Instagram hope, yeah. whoever you like, and honestly, yeah. they they probably. I, I like try to. I definitely to, have yeah. received like a random DM or part. something, and it turned into like giving a giving a bit of advice, and then yeah. turns into a relationship or friend or professional relationship or uh, friendship. So. Uh, really to be a mentor is just expanding your network. So mm-hmm. it's, I would say to anyone who is being asked to, you know, give some advice or help out a younger performer do that. It's, it's in your best interest as well. Yeah, I, I, I do love, that is one mm-hmm. thing I love about the, about the drag community um, is this whole setup of, you know, the drag mother and, they like you know most of my favorite drag queens like I've talked to them and they've mm-hmm. 
often talked to me about, you know, how they got into drag, and it was always somebody sort of, quote-unquote, discovering them and then helping them. Intimidating, I bet. They're like, those first few months of shows, like, it's really hard to just jump into drag. Yeah. Like, where would you even start? I don't even know. But luckily, usually there is somebody there helping you. So I do love that, um, that drag mother sort of system. Um, and there's, there's not really like an exact thing like that in comedy because we don't have like comedy houses um, or uh, comedy moms or things like that. But, uh, you know, there there still is that mentorship. I, I do think I think to like the queer performing arts kind of blend together a little bit more. So I say when I'm doing like gay, I hate to say it like um, like um, um, straight comedy, but let's say like a non queer comedy show where it's not specifically said as queer it's basically just all stand-up <laughs> comedy true. because you know old school comedians do not want to be on a variety show never ever like they like and by variety i mean they won't even be on the same stage if there's improv or sketch never mind music or something else like it is like well, yeah, you're it in is, trouble I'm a stand-up comedian. You book me for a stand-up comedy show. If I show up and this is being hosted by a clown or something, or there's like musical act, it is like they'll they'll walk off. Like seriously. So there's less crossover there. But I would say with queer performing arts, like it is more usually like the We're Funny That Way Festival has is now like queer performing arts as opposed to just a comedy festival. You have music, you have improv, you have sketch, you have stand-up, you have I don't know, all, all kinds of other types of, you know, you have, uh, you know, re- live readings of plays you have. So there is more of this camaraderie where um, you could probably reach out to somebody in a different um, field. Like I know, like um, previously oh, yes. on this podcast, we've interviewed, we've interviewed uh, Jonathan Wilson, who is a queer um, actor in Toronto. Uh, you, you probably know him most famously, and he's going to kill me for this reference, but I would say for... The, That's not how I know so him much, at all. That's, I did not know like, that. I can't wait to talk to him about like that. He's like the voice of the Pillsbury <laughs> Doughboy. And um, so I would say... Yeah, that is that is him. So listen, he's done a, he's done a lot more yeah. than just the Pillsbury Doughboy. He's also a writer. He's done you know he's he's well, had one of his plays optioned and made into like an actual movie that was distributed and all that stuff. So, but honestly, it's it's tough to beat the Pillsbury Doughboy. Like that's that's a pretty cool thing. So anyway, like if if I ever wanted to do um, if I ever wanted to do uh, voice acting, I'd reach out to him. Like there's. There's just so much crossover, and there's so many mentors out there. Um, and, yeah, I guess that's that's the advice I would end it on. I don't know how many people watching are mm-hmm. uh, listening. And I have to say one thing about Jonathan Wilson, because you said Pillsbury Brook Du Bois, and I want, if he is at all listening to this, I want to know. The, my first uh, knowledge of Jonathan Wilson was his amazing <laughs> play, Kilt, which is an amazing queer play. Uh, and I saw that when I was sort of just out of the closet, and, and in a weird way, that had a mentoring yes. quality to me to be like, oh, I can write queer things. And, and sometimes just seeing these things, that's why this podcast is so important. Talking about representation is like when we see people doing, uh, representing who they are on screen or in their, in their work in the entertainment industry, it inspires other people. So in that way, Jonathan Wilson is 
uh, a mentor mm-hmm. to a lot of us uh, for making that, or you know, that play came out in, in the the late '90s as well. And I guess we can even call to Wong Fu. No, I don't think we can. No, we can't. We couldn't say. I was trying to. I was trying to segue and make it work. It did not work. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it would be amazing. I am for sure someday, I, I can already see the scene. Someday we're going to be at a comedy show together, Robert performing, and some young little teenager who's just starting in comedy is going to come up and say, Robert Watson, I watched my gay Victorian affair when I was young. And ah, well, thanks. I, yeah, I, that's a fun little I web see series. happening. I'm like envisioning it because that was such a breakout hit for you. Um, there's like millions of people who've seen it. Yeah. And, you know, and you not only wrote and produced it, but like you're, you actually play oh, a I character so. on it as well. That would be great. So I, I can, I can see like a young person being inspired by that um, and coming up to you on a show. But yeah, which, uh, you know, actually, let me, I, I probably should have told you I was going to ask you. You were so uh, close. Before the show, but I'm just sort of uh, <laughs> uh, whiffing here. Um, not whiffing. What, what's the word? Whiffing is like, whiffing. oh, got a whiff of that. Um, <laughs> whiffing. That's, yeah, oh, yeah, whiffing is a bad thing. That's what you do when you swing the baseball bat and you miss. <laughs> yeah, yes, so okay. What What's so interesting is, is I, I I'm going to find out tomorrow, tomorrow live, whether there's going with, to be street um, work on the area of Queen Street near the Campbell House Museum where we filmed the first season of A Gay Victorian Affair. So we just need to find out that what we've got booked to film in October doesn't have street work with like jackhammers going on outside. And uh, we'll be we'll be filming a uh, second season this fall. So yeah, it, it's it's exciting times, and I'm really hoping that my information tomorrow <laughs> is like, no, we're not tearing up the street right in front of the museum. <laughs> oh. oh, yeah, it's on YouTube or gayvictorianaffair.com. <laughs> cool, cool, and it is available now on YouTube. Um, is there like an easy link to remember? Oh. That's a different story for okay. you, Vong. I want to. I, I want to submit your script. I want to see it. Because <laughs> I'm very egocentric. I always make everything about me. <laughs> so yes, agayvictorianaffair.com or on YouTube. Um, thanks again so much, Robert. This month has been amazing working with you, and I look forward to having you on um, usually every other week um, for the most part to Yay. do more gay movie reviews uh, moving forward. Thank you so much for joining the cast, and we've had so much success together just in one month that I, um, I'm looking forward to um, to more. Uh, thanks to everybody who's listening. Happy Pride. We will be back next week um, back with Leonard Yeah, Tan that's my fault. I'm having... Oh, that's where I got Victoria from, from a gay Victorian affair. I was like, why am I calling Veronica Victoria? Um, I was like, Veronica Antipolo, not Victoria. So so sorry, Veronica. I, it was... The Victorian affair just got like uh, inceptioned into my brain for half a second. I do know your name, Veronica Antipolo and Leonard Chan. Back, we will be reviewing an all Asian movie, um, and then we'll be back with Robert in two weeks with another gay movie. Um, and uh, I'm your host, Vong Show, official spokesperson for gay super cute Asians, and that's what's up.
This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Sonar!